Hi everyone, you're listening to the Shagilala Salami Show. It's a show set in a virtual cafe and I'm your host Shagilala Salami. I promised I will not be talking about the weather for a while and I think I'm getting there but then, then I'm not going to talk about the weather. It's kind of like talking about the weather or isn't it? Anyways, I need to get myself a hot chocolate. Who have I got here with me and what would you like to drink as well? You've got me, Alistair Henry. Hi, Alistair. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. Ooh, tell me about yourself. Well, so tell me about yourself and what would you like to drink? Oh, hot chocolate would be wonderful. How do you like your hot chocolate? Just regular. I'm just a regular sort of guy. No, okay, so I'm, I'm very anything. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very fussy. I feel like whenever I go out to get a hot chocolate, they can, it's never chocolatey enough. So I always have to ask, can I have in that same, you know, cup? Can I have extra chocolate powder in it? And can I have extra milk in it? Because I like it extra chocolatey, extra milky. So I get that rich chocolate taste as it just sort of glides down my throat. So. You just want regular. Yes, because in life I've learned that I just go with whatever's available. It's, um, as a, I'll tell you in a few minutes, it's just easier that way. Okay, okay. You're not very demanding then. I think your wife would like you so much. <laughs> not at all. Okay, no, that's fine. Um, right, well, that will come up. But whilst I'm getting that ready, see my kitchen, you know, has got, it's like you can get anything you want. So what would you like to um, have with your hot chocolate? Oh, a peak freeing cookie would be wonderful. Okay, coming up, coming up. But whilst short, I'm getting short that, cake with chocolate. Okay, I'm Alistair Henry. Uh, I was born in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, moved to Lancashire, England when I was 19. No, when I was nine. Okay. And that's, uh, that's when I acquired this accent. <laughs> when I was 18, I was in a rock and roll band. One year prior to the Beatles, Paul Venture and the Rebel Beats. And we played in all the places like, didn't play in the cabin, but we played in the catacombs and all these other venues in the north. And it was a strange time in a way because you know, this was 1962, and rock and roll was just emerging, but there was, um, oh, there was Skiffle with Lonnie Donegan. There was Pat Boone was still singing um, something in the sand. Ha! And the big band with Lawrence Welk, you could still sing along with Lawrence Welk. So it was just emerging, and people didn't give it any, any due, you know. They said, oh, it'll be gone in a year. Yeah. I came to Canada in 63, and that's when the Beatles came to the U.S. and appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show, and, well, everybody knows the rest of the story. <laughs> but I was playing in this group, Paul Venture and the Rebel Beats. I was playing the bass guitar. And at work, I met a young lady. she just started. Now, in those days, we left school at 15, 16. Okay. And I started to date her. but we only had one night a week the rest of the time we were playing we were so busy so i just started to date this young lady and then she turned around and told me that she was going to canada with her parents and she had no say in the matter mm. so let me really 
I was either forget about this young lady, but you know, this was my, the first love of my life. Oh, that's so sweet. I realized, or I thought, I couldn't live without this woman because oh. that's how powerful love is, especially first love. I can imagine. Oh. So I, I went home and I announced to my parents, I'm going to Canada. They said, you've got to be joking. They called us ships passing in the night and I would soon forget about her. But I didn't. We wrote each other every day. And every day there was a letter in the mail and I wrote another letter. So anyway, um, it was about three months, I guess. I set sail for Canada left Liverpool, sailed up to Glasgow, picked up some passengers over the coast of Ireland to Quebec City. Got off the train, uh, got off the boat and caught a train down to London, Ontario to join my sweetheart. Oh, this could be a movie. Yeah, it could be. Anyway, we got married, have three beautiful children. But unfortunately, the way life is, um, we separated after 20 years. And, uh, we just moved on with the rest of our life, and that's fine. So, where do we go from there? I know, it's like, this, this, this is like, it was so, uh, <laughs> I said this is going to sound really bad, but it was sounding so much like the Titanic. I was just looking yeah. like, you know, just going everywhere. I was thinking, oh, this is like the perfect love story. And I was hoping for a happy ending, but. Well, no, it is a happy ending. No, she moved on. She remarried and uh, she's, she's a good friend. And because of the children, she yeah. shows up at all the, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all the events. Uh, we just accept that life changes and uh, there's no real hard feelings anymore. Oh, well, that's nice. It's a good thing that you guys are still in good terms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really. You know, I would imagine there, uh, upon reflection, you know, maybe... Maybe the first year there was mixed feelings about it all, but we agreed to to separate and go our own way. There was no other person involved. It wasn't like we got caught out having an affair or anything. Yeah. No, I just think in life, and this is the nice thing about being older, you can reflect and you see things in a different light. And you see how um, at the time you make the best decision we always do, don't we? We make the best decisions that we can at the time. But of course. we think we're being logical, but a lot of it is biased by emotion and where you are. And I think uh, as I look back, we were just, uh, after 20 years, we just weren't in the same space. You know, I'd, I'd been on my journey, my path. And she'd been on hers. And we both looked at each other and said, you know, maybe we should separate and uh, and so it was a mutual separation. And we just moved on from there. Yeah. So with, what has been... the rest uh, of our life. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, what has been your career path um, since you got to Canada? Well, when I got to Canada, I decided... Uh, because, as I say, when I was in England, 17 and 18, I was playing a rock and roll band. And, oh, really not too concerned about work, you know. But starting fresh in Canada, I put my head head down and uh, got into the corporate world okay. with finance and accounting. And I got a degree, so I'm a C chartered professional accountant. 
So I got involved in the corporate world and did very well and ended up actually as a vice president of finance. Nice. Then I started my own business. Uh, that would have been uh, probably when I was uh, just trying to, 45, I started my own business. Okay. And then at 57, I retired. Then I thought, that's it, because in Canada, we have this London Life Freedom 55. It was an insurance company's plan that if you invested with them, you know, through mutual funds and whatever, you could retire at 55. Okay. And, and I was a yuppie, and all, all my yuppie friends, that was their plan. So I joined the plan, and I retired at 57. Got a beautiful spot out in the country, 50 acres, five ponds, the Rocky Sorghine River ran through the property. Absolutely idyllic. Yeah. Wow. For two years. And then after two years, I I began thinking more about life. And I think, man, I'm only 57. (laughs) And I'm retired. Is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And one day I was on the deck looking out of the Rocky Sorghine River and I saw all this ice floating down. And I'd follow it and so it got sort of swept up in a little eddy and it shrank and disappeared. And that was a real aha moment for me. Mm. Because I realized, you know, life is like that. It's here one minute, gone the next. And I'm only 57. So I decided to totally change my life around. I didn't want to go back to the city. Didn't want to go back in the corporate world. So I went to live with a small First Nation community in Canada's north, in the Northwest Territories. Okay. Just a small band of 300 Chippewyans in an isolated fly-in location. I went there for two years and it was life transforming. So sorry, um, pardon my ignorance, right? So this community, I'm guessing they're, um, what's the correct word now? American Indians or Canadian Indians? Yeah. Well, they're called, in Canada, we call them First Nations. We recognize that they were here first, that they've been here for 10,000 years. Can you imagine that? Hmm. 8,000 years before Christ, they were on this land hunting and fishing. Yeah. They call themselves Dene. In Canada, we have two. We have the Indians, the Dene. Okay. And they live on the land, if you like. And then in the Arctic, on the coast, we have Inuit. We used to call them Indians and Eskimos. Ah, right. Okay. So the Eskimos are now Inuit. But they they live on the coast and they, they live off seals and whales. Whereas the Dene... They're, they're living on the land, hunting caribou, fishing. Okay. And of course, you know, it was so big, they, did, they weren't aware of each other. Because Canada is very big, let me tell you that. It yeah. Is huge. Yeah. So anyway, these were Dene, they were Chippewyans. Yeah. And uh, there was this little community, only one store, one corpse store, no coffee shop, no pizza, nothing. And you had to fly in and out to Yellowknife, which was about a 45-minute flight. Okay. So it was, a, it was like landing on Mars. You know, <laughs> ev- everything, the sky, the land, the temperature, the people. 
And the Dene have a totally different culture, obviously, to us. You know, they're very community oriented, very yeah. family oriented. They live uh, really in the moment. They just don't care about next week. Whereas I came from the corporate world, you know, I was all about pensions and, and money. You know, my life, our life in our society revolves around money. Yes, very true. But they, but they don't. They go and they, they fish all this, all this lake trout and hunt the caribou. So, the, and you know, so the, the amazing thing is they've been around for so long and they don't eat fresh fruit and fresh vegetables because it's just not available. Ah, okay. And yet, you know, when I was there, Granny, she died. She was 102. Hmm. So you've got to ask yourself all this, you know, the Canada Food Guide says we should be having three servings of this and three yes, servings I know. of that every day, really. Yeah. That's, that's, that's food for thought then. Yeah. So when so you I went, I went into the community basically as this hardcore businessman because that was my uh, my skill was managing the bottom line. Yeah. So it was to these companies were losing money. They were. I was the general manager of their development corporations. There was uh, three of them, three corporations. So I was in there to you know restore profitability. Okay. I thought that was my job, and and it was. But being an outsider in the community, and you know, when you've got 300 people, everybody knows everybody's business. <laughs> everybody, everybody's related anyway. Mm. It's all about pure bloodlines. So they would come to me and say, can I run something by you? What do you think of this? And uh, in the beginning, I was irritated. I thought, I don't want to get involved in, you know, I don't get paid to be personal counselor. <laughs> Yeah, it was so odd. Like, for instance, um, I got a contract for a couple of, we ran a couple of fire crews. This was more fire prevention on the land yeah. than house fires. Yeah, so we had, uh, I think I had about 16 people there, two crews of eight. And I said to them, you know, payday is going to be on the 15th and the 1st. Okay. So we opened the season. Well, the next day they came in an advance and I said, no way you know if I give you an advance every everybody else is going to come in for an advance yeah I said go and get out you know then I'm thinking to myself man these people they don't know how to manage their finances you know they've got to learn some financial management man well the next day it come back and say you know I really need the money you know the baby needs diapers and we, don't, we just don't have any money to buy diapers. Anyway, eventually I said, yeah, okay. And then I got to thinking, I thought, you know, these guys, they've worked. I owe them the money. Who am I to withhold this money for two weeks? Just because it makes my job easier on the 1st and the 15th to do payroll twice a month. So I have no right to withhold the money. So yeah. in the end, I scrapped that totally. They worked, they came in, I paid them. And then I gave them a check, you know, and it's like, what do I do with this? Because there was no bank on in Lutz, okay. And the co-op store, they, they couldn't cash everybody's check. So they said no. So in the end, I had to start to fly in the money, the payroll, 
and pay them cash. So it was a real learning experience for me. It was like, uh, mm. oh, a totally, totally different world, yeah. But right. what, through that experience, I realized that I could help people. Like right. they would come in and say, can I use your phone? I'd say, no way. You know, it's a company phone. But like, you use it, everybody's going to want to use it. But they didn't yeah. have a phone. And then they'd say, well, you know, my brother's sick. He's in Edmonton. I just needed to make a call. And the pay phone at the co-op store isn't working. I'd say, okay, use the phone. And then I realized that by helping people, it made me feel, feel good. It, Fabulous. It, yeah, it gave me the personal fulfillment that I'd... Uh, that you're looking, looking, looking for. for. Yeah. So after two years of doing this, it was, um, I'd get up every day, go to work and look around and say, okay, anybody need any help? I mean, there was a complete paradigm shift in oh. how I viewed the world and my role in it. Wow. Yeah. So when I, so after two years, and it was two years because I looked on the calendar and I calculated it. I'd been there two years, but it felt like I'd been there all my life. Time yeah. is such a strange concept, isn't it? It is. I know. I felt like I've been there forever. And I thought, well, you know what? I got to move on because I'm not Denny. I don't want to retire here. This isn't, uh, it's a wonderful experience, but I just felt it was time to move on. Okay. I didn't want to go back into retirement. Yeah. So when I thought about what to do, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to continue to share my skills and experience and help improve the lives of others, I'm going to volunteer internationally. So I went by, by myself to Bangladesh, Dakar, for two years. Fabulous. And then I went to Nigeria, and then wow. I met Candice. She's you my partner. Candice. Okay. Yeah. I actually, I was volunteering in London at the time, and she was the executive director of this community uh, organization, a neighborhood community, social. Um, okay. Yeah. Resource center. Yeah. Anyway, cut a long story short, she applied, she sold up everything. So we were both homeless in a way. <laughs> well, because we'd sold our home and everything. Yeah. So we went off to Kingston, Jamaica for a year as volunteers. Yeah. And then on to Guyana, Georgetown, Guyana for a year as volunteers. Okay. And then what, what did you do after that? Well, in between, uh, because we were homeless, when we came back to Canada, I stayed with my daughter and our son. She stayed with her daughter. But we realized, you know, we can't keep imposing like this every year coming back and sort of hanging around at their place till we decide what we're going to do. So we went backpacking. So we decided to go for four months through Central America and then another time, four months through Southeast Asia. Absolutely wonderful experience. So basically you've been to almost every continent on the planet. Yeah, and I've been to Africa too. Yes, no, that, that's, that's um, amazing. So what do you do now? Well, here, let me back up a little bit. When I went to, when I went to this little place called Lutzel K, this uh, First Nations community, hmm. my daughter, Nicole, gave me a beautiful journal 
It was sort of leather bound and it had a beautiful uh, satin strap on it. And she said, write in this dad, because we want to know what it's like up there. We sense that it's going to be very different. So I began writing in the journal immediately more out of a sense of obligation because I knew she'd be uh, checking with me saying, how's the writing coming, Dad? Mm. So I thought, well, I can't let it down. So I did. I wrote in it every night. But there was so much happening, so much to write about. It became a habit. So mm. when that journal was done, I got a notebook and I carried on. So at the end of two years, I had all these notebooks pretty well uh, a journal written every night, you know? Mm. So well, the first thing I did is I went to Costa Rica for a month. Mm. I took these journals and I typed them all into Microsoft Word. Now, writing is all about rewriting. Mm. So I had this Microsoft Word document with just journal notes. So as I was going through finding the linkages, because some of the things that were happening went on over a period of time. There were stories in themselves. Yeah. Others were just one-offs. And I would call that because it didn't really add anything. So I ended up with this story, actually. I called it White Man on the Land. Mm. And it began when I went to Lutzelke and I, it ended when I left. And this was strictly for my children. And I gave it to them and I gave it to some other people that really enjoyed it. Yeah. But they, they said, you know, it, it, it makes a reader wonder, like, who was this man that went to Lutzelke? Like, what was he like? Because mm. I didn't say anything about myself. It was really about just uh, what transpired in Lutzelke. And what did he do afterwards? Mm. So I ended up rewriting and it took me seven years and it's an autobiography it starts off with really being born in Glasgow and walks all the way up till I leave Lutzelke mm. and the, the funny thing is as I was rewriting this over and over because you know that's what writing is all about it began to pop up the pages how I had changed I saw my own evolution. I went in there as this hardcore business type and I came out this social, socially um, focused man that wanted to help the world, you know? And I realized it was their culture and their land that had changed me. Hmm. And it's really weird, you know, because when I came out of the North for Christmas, let's say, I came out maybe three times. For Christmas and um, once in the summer. Yeah. Once when I came out, I remember I went into Walmart and I had to come out after five minutes. I was overwhelmed with stuff. You know, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, there is nothing here that anybody needs because I was living very minimally in Lutzoke and yes. getting along quite fine. You know, I had really nothing, it, uh, just the bare bones. Yeah. But I didn't miss anything. But when I came out, I went to Walmart. I'm looking at all these people, hundreds of people pushing carts full of boxes. And it's like, what? How could they possibly need anything? You know, like, what are they doing? 
Yeah. It was strange because that's what happens. You adjust and adapt. And it had become my new reality living with the Chippewans and you end up basically with their sort of worldview because you're a product of your environment. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, you know, that's quite um, interesting. So did you go back to do any work at all? Or, you know, have you just, will you just be traveling now? No, I'm 73. So what we did, so, so I wrote that book, Awakening in the North. Awakening in the Northwest Territories. <coughs> so that's basically how you got it. Oh, right. Okay. That sounds interesting. And then we wrote another book about our volunteering because we wanted to inspire and motivate other people that, uh, you know, were maybe 50, 55. The, the children have all grown and left and thinking maybe they would like to go and take their skills and experience and help in the world so it's called go for it volunteering adventures on roads less traveled okay that no that sounds that sounds very very um interesting and thank you for sharing your journey though it's been quite it's been quite interesting it has been interesting and all because as i say when i was looking at the ice coming down the river and i was asking myself is this it is this all there is? And if yeah. I'd have said yes, this is all there is, Al, then nothing else would have happened. I would have been just doing projects every day in my retirement. But because I said no, and I set off in search of adventure, all this other stuff happened. So I wrote a fourth book, a third book called Budget Backpacking for Boomers. Yeah. To there again to inspire and motivate boomers because we're much fitter than you know previous generations to just go for it you know go in and enjoy your golden years go do some backpacking you don't need a lot of money yeah so what happened then after with the with these books i started we started to do book readings you know at libraries and different places and I read them little excerpts and uh, many people wanted to know a little more. So I said, well, you know, buy the book. And then it dawned on us that we could create a storytelling show. So okay. I would, so for each book, I took out three or four stories, reworked them, making them into complete stories, you know, beginning, middle, end. Because in nonfiction, we have lots of photographs. So we put together slideshows that go with the storytelling. Okay. So these packages we go now, uh, we go to retirement residences, community centers, or oh, lots of senior centers, oh, all sorts of venues. And that's yeah. what we basically do. That's how we keep ourselves busy. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's been quite interesting. Um, thank you for, for sharing your journey. Um, with us. Um, do you have a website by any chance? Yes, uh, be www.awakeninginthenorth.com. Fabulous. And are you on social media? Uh, I don't do a lot of it. I, <laughs> I don't. 
no, I, no, that's fine. I have a Facebook page. I have a Goodreads author page, and I've got an Amazon author page. Okay, fabulous. And will people find all the details on your website? Is it all listed there? Yes, it is. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share your most amazing journey with us. Oh, it's uh, been such a pleasure. I love, you know, reflecting. <laughs> I know, because I feel like I've learned a little bit more and had a little bit more insight into the um, Eskimos and the, how did you call it, the Denny? Is it Denny? D-E-N-E. Yeah, yeah Denny. Yeah, so that was that was quite interesting. So I really enjoyed listening to you. Um, but you know, like they say, all good things must come to uh -huh. an end. Uh huh. Well, maybe another time. Yes, definitely, definitely. But thank you so much for taking the time and coming to talk to us in the Virtue Cafe. Um, and everyone else, thanks for listening in. And until next time, this is the Shagilola Salami Show. Bye now. Bye bye. Thank you.